0: Welcome back, everyone, to Waking the Red Weekly, presented by Footy Talks. We hope you all enjoyed a lovely Thanksgiving weekend. We know Toronto FC did, as they became the first team in MLS to clinch a playoff spot after a 1-0 win against FC Cincinnati on Sunday. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and this week on the show, we'll talk narrow victories, close calls, and, of course, injuries, plus plenty more. Joining us later on in the show, Waking the Red writer, Benedict Rhodes, will be by to give us an update on a number of the team's top prospects as they play out their season across the globe's. Wherever you're watching, um, feel free to interact with us. Facebook, YouTube, we can get all the comments here in our fancy, fancy new digs, um, and we'll we'll bring them up on screen uh, and try and answer your questions as best we can. But first, boys, the X Toronto FC's got it next to their name now, and you know it's it's kind of wild considering this disjointed season. I don't know if I ever would have thought Toronto FC would be the first team to uh, to clinch a playoff spot, but here we are, and. I mean, you know, it's it's just exciting from here, isn't it? We'll start with you, Jeff. I guess.
1: Can I uh, admit that I just got why uh, WTR's Twitter account has an X in front of waking the red all of a sudden? I <laughs>
0: Probably was shouldn't ask, have. But I was
1: yeah. going <laughs> to ask about that, but now I finally get it, which is uh, a point for me. Yay! Um, uh, news to report, guys. I don't know if you saw, but we are number one in the power rankings again.
0: There you go. I mean, that that probably makes sense. You know, you, you first team to clinch playoff spots. What is it 51% now, according to uh, 538 that they will win the supporter shield? So everything coming up is on OFT right now. Are we going
1: right into that? Because I've actually got it as an image saved. We've at 51% supporter shield chances. Seattle's in second at eighteen percent. These are the updated five thirty-eight uh, projections, and then the MLS Cup chances are where it gets interesting. Seattle's at fifteen. Guess where TFC is in second place?
0: Fourteen. Uh, yeah, it was one below fourteen percent. That's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I was good... literally just working on that article. <laughs> those, are some, those are some damn good odds, uh,
2: good
1: odds, gentlemen. That is a that is a nice nice place to be sitting.
2: Hey, yeah, I and mean, you come on—they're still disrespecting us. They have still have Seattle at fifteen percent, TFC at fourteen percent. Come on,
1: it's one yeah. percent. I'll take it.
2: There's still a month left to go.
0: Yeah, certainly. And to be I think fair, you, they do
2: hold that edge in that series.
0: Yeah, go ahead, Mitch. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good point as well. And also, you know, if we're looking at statistical models, and I think this might be the the big takeaway stat from this week, other than obviously the the big fifty-one percent that we mentioned, uh, Martin Bailey's. You know, the difference between 2017 and this current season, Toronto FC won 20 games in 2017, five of them by one goal. Fast forward to 2020, they've won nine of their 11 games by one goal. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at because, you know, if, if you're looking at a statistical model, usually they've always said that teams who win games by one goal are generally pretty lucky. Um, what, what do you think of that? And, and Toronto FC, you know, especially this week. I mean, they had two games where <laughs> one nil wins and there there were some moments there where it was pretty touch and go. They were definitely the better side and, and full value for the points of both those games, but uh, they've kept it close a lot this season, haven't they?
2: Yeah. We, we talked about, I guess a little bit how TFC are a little unfortunate because they drop points this season um, to DC United late in games, obviously San Jose, just thinking back all the way uh, Vancouver as well. But and on, the, on the flip side, they've also stolen some points away from some teams, haven't they? I mean, we think about New York City FC. When they come down, they're sort of being dominated in that match, and then all of a sudden, just the Morrow kicks a ball into the box, gets a handball, and TFC walk away three points against New York City FC. Um, and then you touched on these two recent performances where, you know, VAR, VAR played a factor, the referee's whistle played a factor. Um, and TFC came out on the... On the winning end, I guess let's let's call it, it on some of those some of those calls and some of those mm-hmm. I guess a penalty that goes over the bar there against New England. Um, so t- I guess we can look at it a glass half full. It, the, usually, TFC are on the opposite side of things where they're kind of you know they're the ones dropping points, but now they're they're picking up these points. So it's great to see, and you know it's crucial for when they're they're trying to make this push for the Supporters Shield.
0: I will say. You know, you look at surfaces in MLS. Are there two worse surfaces to play <laughs> on than New England and Cincinnati? I mean, nope, you, you nope. looked at the passing. Uh, there, was, there was a couple of balls that where they tried to play it out wide to Jaden Nelson against Cincinnati. And the way it skipped off the pitch, you're like, oh, that is ugly. Um, you know, we saw some players cramping up. We saw a, a number of things from Toronto FC And still, they were able to get two results. Again, New England, one of those places where they've traditionally struggled heavily. Um, to get out of there both healthy and with any points. And, you know, again, touch and go in some moments, but they were able to get the three points. And that, you know, that's really what matters.
1: Yeah. I mean, you wrote on the rundown winning close games is the mark of a good team or a lucky team. I don't necessarily think good and luck are, are mutually exclusive, but I mean, heart of a champion, these 1 0 wins are, are what championships are made out of. So I'm never going to turn away a, a grinding 1 0 win. Absolutely. I mean, our Slack chat was chock a block with people saying, "Well, you know, why can't we have one blowout as a treat?" Because it's been it's been tough watching these uh, these grindy games. But uh, you know, aside from that uh, that little bit of existential uh, nightmare at the end there, which we were lucky to get away from, um, that was a that was a pretty good game. Pretty good game. I, I take umbrage with with uh, Callen uh, on WTR calling it a clinical performance because i I don't i don't know if it was but
2: uh but it was certainly a win Mm -hmm. yeah exactly it was a win i don't know if i'd even go as far as calling it a good game um it was a game (laughs) (laughs) i'll say that it was a game and (laughs) Mm -hmm. two planes played football and you know obviously tfc came around that three points and that's what's important here but there are still some some question marks in this side um uh, can this team really hang with, with the best of them? We saw, you know, against Columbus, they, they had that great second half. But what happened in the first half when they were, you know, dominated? Which TFC are are we going to get against those top teams? Um, you know, Philadelphia, great, great for them. They deserve that win, and they came with those three points. And we're going to see them again this season. But they're not out of the woods yet, is what I'm trying to say. So they're going to have some some pretty pretty uh, sizable tests, I guess, to overcome if they do want to see out the supporter shield.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. That certainly. Um, I did want to talk about the two calls because I think they they are pretty big in terms of the mm-hmm. the week for Toronto FC. Um, you know, the the Canola mm-hmm. shove. I guess you can call it on Andrew Farrell being one of them, and massive, obviously, in they win over New England, and then that late penalty that got rescinded by VAR against FC Cincinnati. Um, I I think I agree with the end result for both calls. I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know, the, the two things that stood out to me on both calls, the one was the the way the New England players reacted when they saw Farrell go down, especially Farrell's reaction. He doesn't react like a player who's gotten fouled. He reacts like a player who messed up. And so mm-hmm. do most of the other trailing defenders. We all know what Bruce Arena had to say about, uh, about the call throughout the broadcast. And, and speaking of the broadcast, what I really liked in the Omar Gonzalez one was we were able to hear everything he was saying to the referee him saying he's never getting there, ever. Which I think is the point on the Cincinnati thing. You know, he does cut across Gonzalez, but he's nowhere near that ball. And I think he goes down knowing that he has no chance of winning that header. And that for me is is why I think they got those two calls right. I don't know if you guys have any other insight on that.
1: Uh, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, I think Farrell uh, was Keystone cops there and, uh, you know, a lucky bounce and it landed right in IO stride. And, um, you know, if, if that's a foul, then there's a lot of more fouls getting called, but even more to that point, I think, uh, that was a serious dive on OG. And I'm glad that the penalty call got rescinded because he went, he was looking for a touch and he went down like a, like a, uh, you know, a sack of leaves or whatever the or <laughs> <you
0: know. laughs> um iowa just breaking a bunch <laughs> yeah <laughs> not
1: really not really no no, no but that i've time. seen him. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: um
2: iowa canola is getting that respect and in mls i think uh, from the referee even because he does walk around with that stature he does play that sort of big man's game and when you do play that game and you're not you're you find that balance between you know crossing the line and you know getting on the refs Bad side, I guess, and you know, playing within the rules of the game. And I think Ayak Noah does a perfect job of that. He's a great mentor, that, and then Josie Altador as well. So when you do see two guys go at it for and especially in a 50-50 challenge, and you know it's a bigger guy knocking down maybe uh, you know, but a strong defender still, oftentimes you're gonna see that that the referee bite his whistle just because of the size factor and you know that size should be an advantage to that bigger player and um i thought i iowa canola does a really 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 good job of that so you know credit to him on that goal um on that omar gonzalez but yeah that that's a dive for sure um i know they were saying on the broadcast omar gonzalez's arms are on him so they can have definitive evidence to overturn that call i mean isn't that what VAR is here for Mm -hmm. if there's Mm -hmm. if it's clear that it's a dive come on get get that nonsense off the field so um good good on the referee for getting that call right getting that checked and yeah uh, you know TFC again will come out on the on the positive end there
0: I think that's a great point on all of the the strength thing um just because you know if you see a guy like Pablo Piatti win when that exact same 50-50 you just assume he's some somewhere in the equation fouled the defender but if it's a guy <laughs> like Io who you know, has those physical attributes and is able to win those 50 50 battles. And, you know, th- there's more of an assumption that maybe he was able to do it cleanly. And again, the the run by Io Akinola on that play. I mean, there's so much positive throughout that play. The little flick in the midfield by Jonathan Asorio mm-hmm. to open up space. And we've talked at length about how well he's been able to do that. Uh, the ball by Pozuelo, of course, but also the run across the defender. I think Christian Jack highlighted it very nicely on TSN. Those are the kind of runs that Io Akinola has been making recently. And, you know, uh, again, just such a smart player. And he's, he's been showing that consistently of late, um, again, for such a young player, it, it's been quite impressive. Um,
2: I, sorry, just before you go on that, yeah. I wrote about that a little bit last week. And one of the points I really want to emphasize there is that he's predictable when, for instance, this isn't a knock on Josie at all, but just the difference sort of this year I've seen in 2020 when Josie's on the ball or when Pozuel is on the ball, he gets his head up and when Io's on the field, he gets his head up and he knows Io's making that run in behind. He's very predictable. Io Akinola plays on the edge of the, the shoulder defender and he tries to get in behind because of his speed. Josie Althor mixes his game up. He comes short sometimes, sometimes he'll turn the defender, go long, and then you know he'll be frustrated after not getting that one pass. I think for Pozuelo as a quarterback of a team, it's really easy for him to know when his player's making that run and where it's almost like Sebastian Javanko and Josie, I wrote this is Sebastian Javanko Josie Altador asked where as soon as Seba picked up the ball, he know Josie was gone and back in the day and vice versa. So to have that chemistry, I think goes a long way. And I think we're seeing the end product of that.
0: Yeah, no, no, certainly. Um, I, I did want to talk injuries a little bit because there were a couple more for Toronto here. or at least some updates this week. Pro- probably the biggest one. I mean, um, you know, there were a number, but Alex Bono getting hurt in training. We know how well he's done and obviously getting another win this week and s- some big saves against New England. Um, and w- whatever he did to distract the uh, penalty shooter, <laughs> we'll, we'll give him some credit <laughs> for that as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, that was he, a gruesome he, he, one I heard. He did, on that yeah, I guess, way. Way. yeah apparently, uh, apparently bone coming out of the the finger, which you, Never, never love to see. Um, but okay, explain yeah, to that, me this
2: yeah. his bone's gonna pop out of his hand, out of his skin. Yeah, and you're telling me he's gonna go stand back in net in two
0: weeks. Yeah, I don't know. I, I <laughs> like,
2: come on, is yeah. that not different? Well, it's yeah, a standard oh, for a keeper. Greg Vanny said, uh, he yeah, joked at exactly. the press conference that, uh, you know, he doesn't know what any professional goalkeeper whose fingers are straight, so um. <laughs> But I guess getting back to Bono and your original point there is that he was playing so well, and it's it's tough to see him go down like this. I wrote uh, on, I guess, a, a post this morning that it might be the end of his season uh, here mm-hmm. because of this injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, TFC have, what, three and a half weeks left? It's a two- to three-week injury. That leaves mm-hmm. him one game before the playoffs. And is he going to get in that last regular season game? Potentially, but he also might not. So this actually could be the
0: end of Bono's season, barring a, an injury. Hmm. maybe uh maybe bono can go old school wolverine and just save balls with like the bone sticking out of his uh his knuckles there (laughs) Um. i mean how important is your pinky
1: finger anyway as a keeper right like you know it it should be there obviously but i don't know if it's it's be all and end all right
0: I mean, I would assume, I don't know, I think it's probably pretty important. And he, you don't want pain when you're saving balls. And, uh, you know, that split second of like, ooh, I don't want this to hurt probably <laughs> is, uh, is not great for, for goalkeepers. But um, I think the the probably the best news this week, uh, what's the injury update on Richie Larea? We know he, he came off holding his hamstring, Michael. Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, I asked Greg Vanny that after last match, and apparently it was just cramp uh, from Richie which is obviously a positive sign because Richie going down right now, especially with Justin Morrow already down. That's, that's the last thing Toronto FC needs. So um, hopefully it's nothing we've heard from this team before that, you know, like I'll go back to Justin Morrow's injury that, you know, he's fine. It's nothing. next thing you know, someone's out three weeks. So uh, we're speaking to Vanny again later today and hopefully we'll get a further update on Larea there.
0: Hmm. Speaking about Richie Larea and Pozuelo, of course, The MLS team of the week. Oh, wait, no, it's uh, Eric (laughs) Zavaleta and Patrick (laughs) Mullen (laughs) included in in this week's team. Um, uh, Again, showing off C's depth, and, you know, I did want to talk about Zavaleta briefly because, as we all know, he gets a a lot of criticism, but, you know, that's what Tronofsky's just been needing for... Basically the whole season is a performance like that where one of their bench defenders is able to step in and have, you know, a, a solid enough performance to to secure them a result and really to not be incredibly worried about him. And I know it's against Cincinnati, which again is a caveat here, but that that was just a solid enough performance. And if they can get that from Zavaleta you know, one or two more times throughout this season, then you know, that's that could be a difference maker in a Sporters' shield race.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, I
2: thought he was excellent on the night, mm-hmm. and not just Zavaleta. Well, credit to him again; he was he was terrific. But I'll mm-hmm. go back even a game before, and Lawrence Simon was was fantastic for me when he was uh, when he stepped in there beside Chris Mavinga and he, they walked away with three points there too. And obviously, Zavaleta is the one who gets honour with the Team of the Week accolade. And um, I I don't know kind of how that works and who votes on that, but <laughs> great for them for recognizing Eric Savalante because we've been the first one, you know, to kind of rag on him a little bit. But it, it's great to see. And it, it, you said it's exactly what TFC need. If TFC have four center backs who are able to, you know, consistently step in, and we, we've been kind of highlighting that as their biggest question mark moving forward. Here, that's what what position is in this team? Debate, mm-hmm. uh, right? Uh, Do yeah. you guys think of a weakness on the squad besides, you know, perhaps a center back death? Now, cam winger. <laughs> maybe <laughs> but I talk that, about that
0: yeah
1: go yeah.
0: ahead i was
1: just i was just throwing it out there i don't want to <laughs> speak about it on in any detail we'll see there's plenty of games left our tam, okay, winger, for, our for tam those, winger situation
2: yeah for those of you who don't get what jess referring to here of course it's has to be erickson gallardo who, who? has uh exactly who's just i don't even know He's not able to find himself in a match where Toronto City makes seven subs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just seven changes to the starting lineup. He's on the bench again, and still, even during the match, he doesn't find a way to come on. He, he, like Jeff said, he's one of your TAM wingers, even though we've we've discussed that he might not, he arguably shouldn't be viewed as a TAM winger, but still, he's one of your young guns. TSC were raving about him prior to the start of the season, and he's kind of kind of just fallen off a cliff here. Where in the world is Erickson Gaierdorf? Do you guys have an answer for me? On the bench,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Enjoy, enjoying
2: some uh, some tasty hotel food in Hartford. Is that is that like the end-all be-all for Erickson Gallardo here?
0: I don't like if, you, if you're not playing against Cincinnati. Like the closer you get to the playoffs, the more lineup consistency you'd want, and even you know if you're going to rotate your lineup, you want the guys who potentially might be coming off the bench in, in the MLS Cup playoffs to get some some minutes and get some opportunities. And based on what we've seen all year, Erickson Guerrero are not going to be one of those guys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if we don't see him this week, I don't think we're seeing him, you know, barring some wild injuries. I don't think we're seeing him again this year. And, that, you know, that is disappointing because, again, as you said, he he came in with a, a lot of expectations or you know, especially considering Tron sees deficiencies in that position throughout uh, throughout the past couple of years. But yeah, it just really hasn't worked out. And um, it's surprising how little opportunity they've given him, I guess I'll say that. It's
2: really surprising to me because there have been a couple of times this season where Greg Vanny's kind of been asked about Gallardo. Obviously, the start of the year, he was absolutely <laughs> raving about him. I couldn't tell you how much TFC brass were talking about Gallardo. Um, and then. After the pandemic, he was kind of brought up again. And Fanny said again, you know, he's doing really well in training. And if he keeps this up, obviously, he's going to get some minutes. And you know, we'll see he needs some consistent playing time, so-and-so. And then he bring, comes on for, I think, one performance. I I want to say it was, against, it was against Montreal, maybe, at BMO Field there in the loss. And he doesn't have the best showing. And I think after that, it's out the window there for Guy Utter. And it could be because TFC have such a short season and the supporter shield race, but I don't think the leash is very long on him anymore. And I, I it personally, I still don't think he's put into an optimal position for him, his, him to succeed. Um, I don't think he fits this Toronto FC formation very well. I don't think he fits the way Greg Vanney wants to play very well. Um, so, i don't know i don't know what the solution is here and i'm i'm, I'm hoping because i i do think there's a goal scoring threat in ericson gallardo i think he has the ability to really go out there and bang you know maybe even 10 goals in a season um it's just disappointing it's it's frustrating for me and but on the flip side whose spot is he taking in the lineup because there's mm. so many mm-hmm. tfc players who are performing really well you have youngsters like Jaden nelson who are coming in and getting 60 minutes uh so it's a, it's a really competitive squad and he's just, he's one of the people who haven't been able to break through.
0: Let's maybe talk about Nelson briefly because, mm-hmm. you know, that's another sign maybe Jeez. that Gallardo, you know, isn't, uh, isn't in the long-term pr- plans. You've got, um, you know, you've got Jaden Nelson taking those minutes as as a young player instead. And obviously this is a guy that Toronto obviously want to integrate into the side and, and hopefully will be playing for them for many years to come. Um, Pretty impressed with Nelson in the last game. I mean, you know, th- th- there's certainly things that we can talk about that I'd like to see more from him. But um, I thought it was, you know, his most again. He's had two. He's had two performances for TFC, but you know, he looked a lot more professional and competent than than the last time.
1: Yeah, especially in the first ten minutes, they were trying everything through uh, mm-hmm. through his side. On the attack in the first 10 minutes he's fearless in those 1v1 battles it's something Mm -hmm. it's really it's really something nice to see and once his confidence gets up and once he's uh he's more comfortable with the pace of mls play because i think that he's just a little bit too slow with fake with his reads on plays um he's gonna he's gonna be something else he really is uh you know all the all the tools are there there's there's nothing in his skill set that suggests that he's not um gonna be a quality uh wing wing winger threat in the m l s
2: yeah i th- I, th- I thought he was solid um there were times I wanted a little bit more out of him uh there were times where I thought he was trying to do too much, but again, it's all a learning process for this kid and i just just hearing the Toronto see. C- some players talk about him and some of the staff talk about him i feel like this kid is just absolutely tearing up training and he's doing mm-hmm. different things in training i feel like he's one of the more special players in toronto FC training he could be one of the more dominant players in toronto FC training um and it's just a matter of translating that now into a game environment into a professional environment and that's just going to take time and i i mentioned this a couple times but how good is this kid going to be in, in two years mm-hmm. If he gets yeah. a full season under his belt, how good is this kid going to be? Because you think about the likes of, and this is again isn't a knock on them, but think about the likes of Jacob Schaffelberg coming down that wing um, and Tsubasa Endo coming down that wing. Those guys have nothing on what Jaden Nelson possesses in terms of talent, um, mm. in terms of skill. So we've seen how much those guys have sort of grown in, in such a short period of time. And these are Nelson's kind of pivotal years ahead of him. I feel like people players grow the most during like an 18 to kind of 24, the 20, 24 kind of that age. And I think we're just starting to see like the tip of the iceberg of how good this kid can be. Cause I, I really think the guy's limit for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, as, as you kind of mentioned, uh, maybe the one criticism of of his game there is, and, and it's obviously finding a balance but his, I thought he was just a little too safe sometimes. You know, I would have liked to see him uh, maybe attack more aggressively at times. And we saw the, the biggest key for, the the biggest point for me on that was the second we saw that he was probably going to come off and he realized, you know, they're, yes. they're getting ready to sub me off. We saw him just go at the backline. He almost beat the entire team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there was a couple of runs like that. And that's where you really saw like what this guy possessed. He was trying to make like a, a, a good last impression. And, you know, the more he does that, and obviously it's 50-50, right? Like, you want the player to do that when he's in a good position to do it, not every time, because that's that's an issue with so many youth players is, that, mm-hmm. you know, they've been able to destroy guys one-on-one at their own age level for so long that they come in and, and try to do that too much. But, you know, he has the skill to beat MLS defenders, to beat almost, you know, any kind of defender um, 1v1. So the, the more he tries that, I think, the, the better four at Toronto FC, and certainly Jaden Nelson are going to be. And he just uh, turned 18. He yeah, just yeah. turned
2: 18.
1: Before we move on, uh, Will Dunn, friend of the friend of all of us, uh, wrote, good game by Zavs, but we can't forget since he has only scored eight goals, uh, maybe a good confidence booster. We're sort of circling back. I'm not really interested in that question. I want to know how long it took everybody to actually pick out Nick Hagelin because his new hairstyle uh, made it difficult. <laughs> To notice him, I had to do like three, three triple takes before I realized that was Nick Hag. He was uh, growing a bit of a Patrick Mullins kind of kind of flow going on.
2: Yeah, shout yeah. It out, hey, eh? whatever works. It's kind of like Mitch's hair right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely. take that. I'll take that. Um, yeah, no, good to see Haglin back on the field. Certainly, we know uh, what him and his family unfortunately had to go through with with COVID nineteen and. Um, you know, as I'm sure we can all say, one of the, the best guys off the field, on you know, on the field, just awesome guy to play for Toronto FC. So we wish yeah, him nothing but one, the best. He's one of our own for sure. He's one yeah, of Every
1: own. time we conceded a corner kick to Cincy, I got nervous. I got hives. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, sounds like Benedict's actually here, so we'll we'll bring him on, uh, Sweet. whenever he's he's ready. Talk, uh, a number of, of Toronto FC prospects. I think this is a good time, certainly, to to have this discussion because we're, we're seeing a lot of Toronto FC players out on loan, be that in Europe, um, be that, you know, in, in North America as well. So uh, we'll get some insight from Benedict on them as someone who's covered Toronto FC too, a lot. And, you know, speaking of hair, Benedict, wow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Come on. <laughs> going?
0: Oh, let go.
2: <laughs> go. We love to see top, that. Top shelf stuff. Mm-hmm. can't teach 10 that. 10 out of 10. You <laughs> can't teach that um benny you're you're the tfc2 expert and so we we needed to have you on here just because it's such an exciting time for toronto fc and canada soccer in general there's so many up and coming young young talent um young guns we call them coming through the the ranks and we saw Jaden nelson there a little bit um can you kind of just talk about nelson to start and what you saw out of his performance and what can tsc fans really expect out of the now 18 year old and canadian international player of the year
3: yeah, I think uh, uh, Mitch used the word playing a bit safe. Maybe I think that's probably a fair way of putting it. Uh, I thought maybe he looked maybe uh, maybe a bit shy. Maybe is another word to put it. Because when he was on his game, he's like Mitch said any capable of beating any uh, excuse me any MLS defender. And I think he just needs to sort of realize that. Maybe I think he was trying to hold himself back a little bit. Maybe, um, but. I think if he wants to, and he's obviously capable of it, I think he is able to sort of go down that wing and, and beat defenders.
0: Yeah, certainly. I wanted to talk to you a little bit, you know, as someone who covered Toronto FC extensively or Toronto FC two, both extensively, but Toronto FC two in particular for this conversation, um, you know, the fact that they didn't have a season this year, I wrote on it um, a little bit there and, my thoughts on how in some ways it's a bit of a positive because it's forced Toronto to really consider loan options for these young guys. And I think that's something they haven't done enough of, um, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing, certainly to find a good loan fit for players. And and that, that's part of it. But how, how have you thought they've done in terms of, especially for their top guys who really need minutes right now, uh, finding good loan opportunities for them where they will get those minutes and, and they'll get them in maybe different environments than they used to in Toronto.
3: Yeah, I think looking at some of the top guys who are at the moment, like Jordan Peruzas uh, in the USL Championship, uh, Jordan, uh, sorry, Julian Dunn had a brilliant season in the Canadian Premier League. Uh, Rocco Romeo and Noble Akello are doing well over in Denmark. So I think TFC2 and, and Toronto FC together uh, have done a pretty good job of getting some of their top guys' minutes. Uh, I'll see Jaden Nelson now starting to get some minutes with the big team. Um, so I think for the most part, they've done a pretty good job. Obviously, there's some guys who are probably just sitting in Toronto at the moment, not really. Like being, who? In time,
2: but, uh, I think names, getting as many as they can out. Give me some names. I want some of those names who are, who are the guys that are sitting back in Toronto, not getting some of the spotlight right now.
3: Uh, yeah, well, uh, the guys who were indicating the Premier League are back now. They're not getting any minutes. So Robert Boscovich and Dante Campbell, for example, are two of them. Uh, then you look at people like Jordan Faria, uh, Luca Petrasso, uh uh luca cello as well like some of these midfielders especially tfc and tfc2 have a lot of midfielders and it's getting possible to get them all playing time at the moment i think so um they haven't managed to get a few of them out but i know blakello i think is the one they want to get the most minutes or they're prioritized getting him into a, another environment yeah.
2: um but yeah yeah so the reason we kind of brought Ben on and there isn't really anyone out there that knows TFC2 like Benedict Rhodes does Zero. and he's 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 been on the beat for this that that team and there aren't many people that are on the Toronto FC beat let alone the Toronto FC2 beat so he's he's has the most experience that I know watching some of these guys grow and develop so it's great to you know have Ben on here and talk about these guys and another one of these guys who are kind of in the spotlight right now. And this kind of, cause Alex Bono went down with an injury and he found his way onto the Toronto FC, I guess, match day squad for the first time in his career. That's 22 year old goalkeeper, Kevin Silva, who Toronto FC just signed this year as their third, you know, goalkeeper. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about him? And, um, I guess, is there a a prospect that we potentially see him, uh, you know, make an appearance down the line here?
3: Yeah, I think we probably will see him get at least one game in down the stretch here. I think there's a few games in a row for Toronto FC. Uh, I think they're already planning on doing that sort of platoon role with Alex Bono and Quentin Westberg. So uh, I don't th- I imagine that'll change. Um, and for a bit of background on Silva, uh, he's a bit like Alex Bono in the sense where he can sort of pull a flashy save out of almost nowhere that like you wouldn't expect him to maybe make a save and then he kind of saves the day for TFC two last year or, or TFC in Bono's case. Okay. Um, I think the thing that stands out most for Silva is his uh, communication. I mean, he's very, very vocal. Mm-hmm. Might have helped because they're playing at the training ground. Maybe we could just notice him more. But he was directing guys in the midfield and up, up front uh, attacking the other end of the pitch. And they were listening to him. So he's obviously a vocal leader. And I think that's something that Toronto FC could use to their advantage.
0: I think that's an important thing for a young keeper as well. It's something that always stood out to me with Thomas Hassell breaking in with the Whitecaps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you see young keepers and they're just kind of quiet and they'll let the veteran center back do the directing. But Hassell's one of those guys who will, you know, let you know if you're out of position. And if you're in the Vancouver Whitecaps back line, you are often out of position. Um, <laughs> but I, I, the, the one thing I wanted to ask about Silva is uh, how's he with his feet? Because obviously we know that how much Greg Vanny, uh, you know, keys in on that.
3: He's pretty good with his feet. I think one criticism of the two Toronto FC goalies this season has been that they maybe haven't been as good with their feet. Uh, I'm not sure if Silva's a huge upgrade on that front, but uh, he definitely had his moments last year where he, I think at one point he dribbled around a, uh, an attacker trying to take the ball off him, and he just did a trick around him and, and cleared the ball down the field. So he's, he's good with his feet. I just don't know if he's bad. necessarily an upgrade, but he is MLS quality, I think, at his, with the ball at his feet.
2: Um, yeah, Neil Davison actually had a great piece on Silva. I believe I believe it was Neil. I'm apologies if, if I'm wrong about that, but uh, he mentioned that Silva was a striker until about I think the age of 12 or 13, and he transitioned to a keeper then. So I I believe that playing with his feet could be one of his strengths moving forward here, and hmm. obviously having someone like Q to to learn that that kind of the aspect of the game off of it's, it's that second and none and. Uh, hopefully, maybe that is a reason why TFC love love this kid. And they're, they're, they are really high on him from what I've heard. Awesome. Who else are they high on? Uh, ben, who do you have your eyes on
1: as the next uh, young gun to make the jump to the first team? If you had to choose one.
3: Well, I think a lot of the young guns who are sort of currently on the radar for maybe next season are, are the ones already signed to the first team deals. Uh, the one that uh, stands out to me is Julian Dunn, I think. Uh if it wasn't for Mo Farsi, I think Julian Dunn would probably be winning the U21 Canadian Player of the Year in the Canadian Premier League this year. Hmm. He, he was that good for Valor FC, and uh, I think he probably uh, play in Toronto FC now. I think he's maybe the third or fourth player on that depth chart for Toronto FC right now. Did,
2: um, did he, so he not win that award? Year. sir? did he not win that award? Uh it hasn't been announced yet. It hasn't been announced yet. Okay, one are the CPL awards? Uh couldn't tell you. No idea. Sure. All right, well, 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 guys, Google it. Okay, anyways, <laughs> keep going then.
3: <laughs> um, And in the same regard as, as Dunn, I think Rocker Romeo is also up there. I think Dunn might be the one more ready. Um, as he also already has a bit of MLS experience, although it was those games where they rotated the whole squad and got destroyed by Houston, I think it was. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think Dunn and Romeo were good together for TFC too, as well, last year. So I imagine that might be the partnership of the future and getting some of these young guys to sort of push the vets a bit uh, can only be good for everyone. Awesome.
0: What about Jordan Peruzza? Because we've seen, you know, what he's been able to do at uh, USL championship level. Um, you know, Toronto FC striker situation's pretty interesting right now. Certainly Io's emergence makes it better than it could have been, but, um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Josie going forward after picking up another injury. Uh, where does Prutza fit in? Because, uh, you know, he, he seems to be a player that everywhere he goes, he scores a lot of goals. And I've seen a lot of things i like from him down in, in championship this year.
3: Yeah, he was really good last year and he seems to have been doing quite well down uh, with, I think, San Antonio in the USL championship. Uh, again, I think he's someone who maybe won't play a ton of minutes next season, but uh, I think he's definitely in the, in, uh, a contender for it, and I imagine he'll see a lot of time in preseason. Uh, I think he could probably, again, fit third or fourth on the TFC depth chart up top. Maybe I don't know if he'll take minutes off Patrick Mullins just yet, just because Patrick Mullins is sort of a...
0: My hero. Action, but, uh, imagine. <laughs> Team of the week, Patrick Mullins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I
3: think is definitely good enough. He's, he's physical, he's quick, he can finish with both feet, with his head there's this of like what Jordan Prusa?
2: Yeah, every time I watch that kid, I get so excited. It looks the goals that he's scoring; it looks like he can make an impact in Major League Soccer right now. Yeah, um, absolute so, screamers, just just yeah, bangers, bangers, absolute to screamers. Screamer it was, ratio. It was, it was pivotal, pivotal for the club to you know make sure that they get him on loan, uh, out on loan to make sure he does get that playing time because they are so high on this kid and his his development path is it's just. It keeps going up and up and up, and it's great to see. Um, another thing we sort of wanted to discuss is, Mitch sort of touched on this earlier, is Toronto C is getting to the point now where, are they going to become a sellers club? You're seeing so many of these prospects coming through, and we'll even talk about Ayo Akinola, Richie Larea, just the top guys are they gonna start selling some of these guys out and then bring and in, in, you know replenishing their their foundation with some of these youth guys can I can I interject? I mean Ben Please. gets all the DMs Ben gets all
1: the DMs so he he's the first one that will tell us what's going on with uh, al law's <laughs> pursuit of Bozo uh, in addition but uh yeah no I just wanted to get a bozillo shout in there. <laughs> <laughs> um
3: yeah I can definitely see some of these uh TFC two guys either jumping into the first team or maybe even being sold before they get to that point and Perusa had interest from Italy I believe and um I think they're I can't remember, I'm blanking on his name but they already sold someone or someone left to Europe and um maybe Rocco Romeo as well as having a good time in Denmark he might be someone of interest for clubs overseas um or maybe even other MLS teams if he doesn't get the playing
1: time he wants but that's obviously not an issue at the moment but could be down the road um Oh, Ben, we just uh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I saw a pause. Uh, we have a question from Will Dunn, and I think it's it's actually an interesting one. With the TFC/MLSE slash MLSE coffers, do they even really care about selling players? So that's an interesting shout.
3: I personally can't really speak to that. <laughs> I'm not really sure about that, but uh, i have to ask Bill Manning that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, I that that is an interesting one, certainly, and um you know, I think they should, I think they should. I mean, mean, it just, it just makes economic sense. I mean, that's the way soccer works. Um, Should they, you know, should they prioritize that? No, certainly not that, you know, this is a club that um, has all the money, has all the prestige, has all the ability to win, but, you know if there's an opportunity here especially you know we've mentioned Larea Akinola, those might be some guys that european clubs are interested in if there's a big bid that comes flying in for one of those players you know you you should always consider it because um you know in a salary cap league and in any sort of league if, if you can sell on players and and make money that way you know th- that can make all the difference and that could mean the next guy you bring in you know is is covered for financially and you can just add that to your to your spending so um I, I do think Toronto FC should consider it. Obviously, it's not priority number one for this club. It's, you know, I, I don't know if they become a seller's club per se, but I do think especially, um, you know, and for the growth of Canadian players, not, not every Toronto FC player is going to make the first team. So if they exactly. can start selling on some of the guys who um, maybe aren't going to fit in but are still very good players, then uh, I think that's that's something they need to start doing more of.
2: Yeah, yeah. two sure. points to that, Mitch, is... The one, um, it, it's still business. Like it, this mm-hmm. is still a lot of money. Like an yeah, <laughs> incredible of amount of money we're talking yeah. about, and it it makes a huge difference, especially in when we're navigating through the challenges of the global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second point really is from the players' perspective. You think about Io Akinola, You think about Richard Laurea. Um, yeah, and you think about some of these youngsters. Where, what's what's their ultimate goal do you do you think it's to to play the rest of their career in Toronto at, at 18 years old I, I I know for a fact it's not they want these kids want to go to Europe and it's their dream to go to Europe and TFC have to have that bridge to get them there because there's such a such an opportunity here and there's such a pool of Canadian talent and TFC have to find that balance of being that middle ground of succeeding but still being able to you know, Replenish their, their their talents by selling players and you know getting players into the squad. Yeah, CFC well, and MLS,
1: can't be too big for their britches, but mm-hmm. in terms of where they fit in the global soccer landscape, and I think it's important to remember that and mm-hmm. uh, and to take advantage of of those opportunities when they arise. Um, you know, uh, it, holding on to to your star players for a career is it, and soccer are, are not exactly the best bedfellows. So, so to, to have that attitude, despite the fact that, that MLSC can, can afford to strong arm players into staying forever. It's just, it's not the soccer way.
0: Yeah. I think it's critical for recruitment too, because if you know, you're a top young guy and now you see, especially recently, you know, that there are opportunities over in Europe, you want to, if you're going to sign on with Toronto FC and you have those aspirations, which I think you should, if you're a guy like Iowa or even Richie, you should have those aspirations to want to keep pushing yourself to that next level. If Toronto FC can show that they can find guys, you know, opportunities over in Europe and, and good positions and be a bridge that way, I mean, that's that's where MLS is succeeding most mm-hmm. right now, I think, is is finding that young talent and then showing that they can sell them on. So, you know, I think, I think Toronto FC would do well to uh, become part of that. And I I think that is part of what they're trying to do right now with, with a number of these young players and why they've signed a lot of these guys to first team deals is they want to, you know, have their name stamped on the, on the careers of some of these guys that they have brought up and developed. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess, Benny, uh, before we let you go, um, just uh, quickly, you, you know, your thoughts on, on, I guess where Tronoff's academy structure is right now and how how much development we've seen from, you know, the, the the early days and and them trying to put this together to now where, you know, it it does seem like they're producing too many players for the first team and that and that's can only be a positive thing, right? Because now you have options and now you uh have that opportunity to, you know, send players elsewhere.
3: Yeah, like you said it can only be a good thing. Um I, I do wonder, though, with – this is opening a whole another barrel here, but um, you see players like Ija Howley, I think his name is, going from TFC Academy to York 9 because he didn't maybe think he was going to break through at Toronto FC, mm-hmm. but no one will get the playing time at York 9. So I do wonder if Toronto FC don't start giving more of these academy guys minutes, will players maybe look to other academies or other teams? But at yeah. the same time, it can only be good for Toronto FC to have such a wealth of young talent and – uh, I imagine they're pretty happy with it. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I said you, you, there has to be a balance, right? Like, there's so many players, like Liam Fraser, for example, like who's been on the first team for a while now, but just can't buy the minutes because how deep TFC is. Um, also injuries and stuff as well. But uh, yeah, I think overall, I think Toronto FC must be pretty happy with where their academy is at the moment, and uh, I'm hoping Toronto FC too can start sort of, be he being that breeding ground for young talent?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, Long may it continue. Absolutely. This is always it's, this has always been the case, though. With with this isn't new that Toronto FC are having players leave their academy uh, because <laughs> they don't they don't believe it's it, it's the right path for them um it, this this will always go on in football and in, in 10 years and 15 this will this will continue to happen but i think what's really cool right now is we're at the point where we're talking about these guys leaving the academy because canada soccer is that deep and it's just a testament to how how far we've come mm-hmm. as you know in, in such a such a period of time i don't want to say short now because it's, it's been like 15 years now and i want to see some some tangible production so um it's just yeah again a great testament to to where canada soccer is right now
0: yeah it used to be players were leaving toronto fc academy for like i don't know university of michigan or something which like no no shots at that i mean that you know ncaa has its role in the in the development pathway in north america but like now they're leaving it for you know bundesliga sides or Mm -hmm. other professional environments within canada so um that's a massive massive difference and i think that's a that's a good point from you michael um, we are at one o'clock here though. So we will wrap things up. Benedict. Thanks so much for, for joining thanks, us. For giving thanks, us uh, your unique insight on, uh, all things Toronto C2. Yeah,
3: thanks guys.
0: And, uh, thanks so much everyone for listening and interacting. Uh, we've really been enjoying all the, all the Facebook comments popping up on the side and how we can, uh, integrate those into the discussion. Uh, thanks again, of course, to, to Benedict for joining us, Michael and Jeff, uh, good stuff as always. And, uh, See you all again next Tuesday.
1: Cheers, guys.